0: Amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church and children. There's Miss Jamie in the back, and she is lonely right now because there's only about a hundred kids back there, and she wants more. So go back and be with Miss Jamie and have a great time. And we will too, in case some of you were wondering. Um, so, I uh, speaking of great times, I just have to tell you. Um, uh, Ah, man. I'm having a good time. This morning, I, I almost want to have the guys stand. We formed a singing group this morning over on the wing. And uh, we're, we we probably won't introduce ourselves until we come up with a name, do you think? That'll work. But there's some great vocalists, and then I joined them. <laughs> but we had a great time, and um, Vicky's going to sign them up right now. I see her moving over there, and she's going to involve them in glorious sounds and songs of the future. So Um, I don't know if you saw it too down here in the front you know we express enthusiasm clapping right and some of us do it you know kind of moving and dancing and you know and this kind of thing and no one moves and dances better than children and there was there was celebration in 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 dance down here this morning. I think it was was it Diamond? Yeah, I thought. I, I looked across and I was too busy worshiping, So, but um, awesome stuff, and we're glad you're here. We're glad you're part of us uh, live stream, those of you tuning in this morning. Um, I want to talk to you about something that will be surprising to you. What's that? She was imitating Krista. She because Krista was in it, right? Good yes. Yes, she is. Should I have her come back up and show us again right now? No. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. All right, so um, I want to talk to you about good problems. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, right? I mean, how do, I mean, seriously, how can a problem, any problem, be good? Uh, Well, it turns out that the first church that we've come to know by name and we're getting into a little of the nuances and details, and today will be one of those. Uh, they, um, they faced a number, actually, of what I would call good problems. Uh, I read some really insightful words. Listen to this quick string of good problems, some that we've seen already in our study of Acts and others that we will encounter in days to come. In the first Several months after Pentecost, I'm quoting now, the church in Jerusalem faced a number of challenges. The people met the challenge of public scorn, for example, by sound, solid preaching. They met the challenge of intimidation with prayers for boldness. They didn't go hide in a closet. They were only there long enough to pray for power and boldness and get back at it. That was the problem that they faced they met the challenge of hypocrisy with uncompromising integrity that's somebody that's the same whether they're in front of a camera or in front of an audience or in front of uh uh, fellow employees or when they're behind the scenes and no one's looking they met the challenge of persecution with (laughs) hard to even read these words with rejoicing and continued faithfulness that's probably the, the piece that's most unlike me instinctively. When I think of persecutions, I want to, I don't know, David Horowitz got in my brain years ago. Fight back. I just instinctively want to do that. But the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 Maybe like the first church. Why don't you shock everybody and rejoice that you were counted worthy, as the apostles said. to to receive mistreatment. And you stayed faithful through it all. And then, finishing this quote, the apostles faced one of the greatest challenges of all. Wait for it. Success. Success. Uh, Many years ago at the church church, Debbie and I came from with just at that time a little baby. Um, Success success was suspect. I remember we were surrounded by it. Uh, It was a, um, a, a going concern. And it was suspect almost the entire time I was there. There was a wary eye towards success among the senior leadership of that church. I remember Chuck challenging us on more than a few occasions don't rest on your laurels you want to write that one down because you don't know what it means either <laughs> I went huh you know I'm sitting there and there's a there's a room full of pastors and their spouses and he says y'all i'm I'm worried we're at the zenith we are the uh raiders when they were good well that's a bad example you have to go way too far back on that one but uh picked a you know new england patriots when no one could beat tom brady we were we were that kind of church and in the midst of that chuck says don't rest on your laurels well it means this because i looked it up for our sake too don't be satisfied with past success so you fail to plan for future success. Oh, well, I started to understand because we had we had problems at that church for sure. Um, I would use the word enough. The word enough was our biggest problem. For example, we didn't have enough parking. Not even close. Uh, the cl- The repeating theme of the city threatening to shut down this entire thing was, if you don't get a handle on this parking nightmare. So we hired police. We did everything possible to manage a really serious uh, threat to the church, a, a good problem. We didn't have enough seating by a long shot. Uh, On a given Sunday, we would invite people to stand up, and you don't have to say anything. Uh, Here it might be a few, a handful, 10 people that are new. There, it was sometimes 500 and more on a Sunday. We didn't have enough services. The day the church moved in there from a smaller uh, place that had seven services, we moved in there, and it was decided mostly by Chuck because he was losing his Voice and maybe his mind too at that point. Um, that that we would do limited numbers of services, and we still didn't have enough. We didn't have enough space in almost every way, and then we didn't have enough uh, pastors. When that all just before that ignited, there were six pastors on the staff, and the church blew up to about ten thousand people when we stopped counting, because. We just started measuring how many people got turned away on Sunday without a seat. And there was no live stream, so we didn't have that. It was just, so um, So there were only six pastors. And and then the church realized it's like a, I was a teenager once, and I was a little guy. And I was always wishing I could be big like my brother. And the day came. It was actually in the summer when I grew a foot and a half almost. But anyway, a bunch. Right? I went, shoop, and I, when that was that growth spurt, they call it, ended, I was like this skeleton. Like, man, he's got long bones. There's absolutely nothing on him, right? And so over the years, I've, I've accumulated uh, <laughs> stuff on the bones, right? So, but here's the deal. Uh, the church was like that. We had six pastors. And when we finally filled the staff, there were over 22 pastors and over 100 people on paid staff. That's a kind of good problem. We knew about good problems from that experience. Now, back to Acts and chapter 6, if you haven't turned there already. The first church, actually in a few short months, had grown rapidly. Uh, If you're new with us in this series You can YouTube every message, you can uh, see the worship and be a part of that, just go there and get involved, it'll be really good, or reach out to the church, we'll help you navigate all that. So um, they had grown rapidly, there are literally thousands of brand new baby Christians, right? So it's just this mushrooming thing, and the result of this rapid success introduced the first church to what I'm calling this morning a good problem. It's described in chapter 6, so if you uh, haven't turned there, would you do so? The church grew so fast, um, no doubt inspired by some things we've already talked about up to this point in our verse-by-verse study of Acts. Um, maybe the courage that they saw. These people are looking at this phenom happen, and and the courage displayed by the apostles who, in fact, just as recent as last week, stood strong in the face of the fire of the Sanhedrin, who said, back off and back down and go back to your homes. And they said, nothing doing. And there was this boldness uh, that they showed, and, and maybe that was part of it. Um, their growth introduced... Uh, this growing pain that was not, not to be trifled with. It was actually a threat to unity in this fast growing church. And it's captured for us in a single verse. Would you look at verse one as chapter six begins? In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So I've just given you color commentary to what it He's saying here, Luke's describing, when the number of disciples kept increasing. I just gave you a little view of that. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. One verse captures the problem. The presence of this problem we're going to get to know, and we're going to see in the verses to follow how it was resolved. If I can use terms we use today, uh, they they leveraged this to further grow and further expand. And this uh, good problem became a small problem with a good capital good outcome. Um, So the presence of this problem, um, I want to just guess something, that you're going to find what we read right now one of two ways. There are some people will hear, who will hear the full story, and if your view of the first church is that it was a perfect place, right? there's a little muted chuckle. But if your view was that you're just coming into this and going, "Man, they didn't get corrupt by a bunch of tradition and you know mistakes along the way," no, they were. Brand, this is a brand new. It's like a brand new baby. They're perfect. Right? And so if your view of that is then, um, and that actually has a, it's playing out in your life today because you long for that kind of church as well. So do I. Um, but you, if, if that's you, then this development is actually going to surprise you. Um, as you discover that even a, a perfect church can actually have a pretty glaring problem on its hand and a pretty um, intense one at that. There's another possible reaction. If you know that no church, actually not even the first church, was problem-free, then this story is almost sure to inspire you. You're going to go. You know, maybe where we're at, maybe the church I'm part of isn't that bad. I'm saying this looking at a camera because some of you are far away from here. You tune in, and that's cool. But there's a local church that needs you and wants you, and and that's hard for you because you uh, you enjoy what happens here on a Sunday, and yet it's there's this maybe, five, there's just nothing like it at home or where we live. And, and I, I, I get that. I, I understand that. But, but um, there probably is something that could work for you. So let's start with the conflict. All right. The situation that grew um, into this full-blown threat to unity was, was the word favoritism. We just read it in verse 1. There's two groups of people involved in this collision, this problem. Uh, by the way, preference. Uh, favoritism is simply preferential treatment of of a certain group, all right? And in in this case, there's two groups. There's the the Hebraic group, and there's the Hellenistic group. There's the Jewish-speaking group, Hebraic, and there's the Greek-speaking group, the Hellenistic. They have in common that they're widows, okay? So there's Jewish, background language widows and there's Greek, non-jewish background um, widows. That's the issue going on here. And the Hebraic ones, remember we're in Jerusalem. so it's full of Hebrew Hebrew people, right? Jewish people. So the Hebraic widows were receiving, preferential treatment over the 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 non-Hebraic uh, widows, the Hellenistic widows. That's the issue here. Okay, so I'm going to just have a little fun for a second. It's this side of the room versus this side of the room. And the perception is you guys have uh, better lighting over here or better sound over here or... Um, or, or something, or maybe Steve looks this direction more and that feels good. Or maybe it doesn't, and you guys are lucky that you live over here, right? You get the point p- point here. There's two groups and they're substantial in number. So that situation is almost guaranteed to introduce friction. All right? Now, there's a pantry program that we're introduced. When we, when we read the words daily distribution of food, we're still in verse 1. That's this pantry program that, that I'm calling that um, that existed for the specific care of the most vulnerable in that church and uh, to some extent in any church. Uh, and that would be the widows. You could add orphans to that list as well. Uh, in the ancient world, it was way harder in most cases than we can imagine. Um, so hard that, that most of the widows of that day lived, ba- barely survived at a subsistence level. They were fortunate to have three meals a day. It was, it was not a good life. We have inheritance today. We have trusts that pass from one to the other. We have a society that's just loaded with safety nets today that, that almost guarantee this won't happen. Not, it won't, it's, not a, it's not a foolproof plan. But uh, to be a widow in that day, let's just leave it as it was a, an extreme form of hardship without some kind of intervention. So the church steps up, says we've got a bunch of Hebraic and Hellenistic widows and they need help this kind of brings James half-brother or uh, Jesus half-brother James into focus remember what he said he was describing in the first chapter uh, John Moore led us deeply into the verse uh, 27 that says you know you want pure religion just take care of widows and he throws in orphans too he says hey they're 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 children with no protection and provision so widows and orphans made his list of Pure religion. Now, this conflict drew the attention of the twelve apostles, and um, they gathered the Christians, or they're known here in this text as disciples. So you got the apostles, the tw- actually eleven, and then the add-on Matthias, and and so you got twelve apostles. And it drew their attention, and they came together with this proposed. Uh, recommended solution look on at verse 2 so the 12 gathered all the disciples together so if you want to switch disciples for christians the, the, the 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 vast numbers they drew them together and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of god in order to wait on tables brothers and sisters choose seven men from among you who are full of the holy spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. All right, that's the recommended uh, way to address a difficult situation that needs to be remedied. All right, the recommended remedy has several features. Um, Before a solution, however, is recommended or embraced and implemented, I find it curious that the apostles clarify their calling, because sometimes in ministry, when you hear of a new need, you think this way, okay, better roll them up higher. I know I've got a job on Sunday, which takes a lot of hours to get ready for it, but I better get busy and fix it. The temptation existed among these apostles as well. In their own words, we have this responsibility, this calling to the word of God and to prayer. And so they're clarifying out of the gate. This is the solution, but hold on. We're not the ones that will implement this plan. Now, if you're hearing these words, you're wondering... If not you, then who? Right? And that's what they're explaining here. So they're clear about their mission, verse 4. Our mission is to uh, pray and focus on the Word of God. Repeat. Pray. Focus on the Word of God. And it keeps going and keeps going. And if you don't find a pastor that says, I'm praying for you, You call out a need, and and he prays for you in that moment, and then keeps praying for you. You need to ask, what are you doing with all your time? And the word. If he's giving you cooked up, uh, reheated messages, uh, ask him, hey, bro, how can we help you? Because we're hungry. Not everybody likes leftovers. Okay? So feed us something fresh. Okay? So they're telling us, that's what I do. That's what... We 12 do. We pray, and we are focused on the ministry, they call it, of the Word. They're also clear about what they don't do and would be wrong to do. Wrong, put it in quotes, it's not a hard wrong. It's an unwise wrong. Verse 2, they're saying, I don't think it would be wise. They're not hesitant like my voice sounds right now. They're saying, no, it wouldn't be smart for us to give up those other things to wait on tables. So they, you know what they're doing? We call it today, they're staying in their lane. That's what they're doing. And they're asking others to stay in their lane. And here's something that you can do in your lane. So the recommended remedy is absolutely brilliant. They don't just go, hey, you and you, let's see. And you and you and you and you uh, that's seven of us, seven we think it's good. you guys go get them. Wait the tables, care for the widows. No. They enlist the congregation with a plan to identify qualified people to implement this what I would call the first ever food uh, 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 meal train, right verse three we we're We've got a plan, and it involves seven people to implement this meal train, but notice they didn't do the choosing. Why? Well, remember who is complaining here? The non-Hebrew faction or, or, or part of the group, the 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 Greek speaking. What are we? Less people? Are our widows? They don't matter as much? And who are the 12 apostles? They're Hebraic, they're Hebrew. So there would be this, they're trying to avoid, they're trying to avoid being criticized for some kind of perception of unfairness. Yeah, well, you picked people that would still favor the ones that are getting this favoritism favoritism treatment. And so they said, hey, here's what we'll do. We're not going to be the ones to actually make this selection, but we're going to assign this choosing of the seven to you, to the people, to ensure a perception of fairness. So notice quickly the simple selection criteria. They're they're told to look for people who had good reputations. This is in verse three. I want you to see this, okay? So they're told to look for people with good reputations. The expression "known to be." Do you see those words in your text, verse three? You are to choose seven from among you who are known to be. So they were. That's that's why they use those words. They were to cull um, people who weren't just rumored or reported to be good guys. That's too superficial. Instead, they were to go deeper than that. And they're to search for people known to be. They're to search for people who possessed known qualities. Remember, known to be. We want to. We want to go. We want to. Carefully vet, we would say today. People that fit this description as one of these seven. People with proven reputations. Uh, Not just rumored reputations. So what were those qualities that they're looking for? Uh, The first jumps out right away because our series is called In Step with the Spirit. And the very first thing they're told to have or possess is to be full of the Holy Spirit. They're supposed to be, okay, go after people who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit. And then he adds wisdom. Let's talk about both. Full of the Holy Spirit, uh, that's about as, in my judgment, about as deep as it gets, don't you think? I mean, these are people that are known to be Full of the Holy Spirit, and, and, they, and they need, therefore, to be indwelled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not looking for regular attenders here. We're not even looking for nutritionists, right? If we're talking about food program. Notice how that's missing here? They're looking for somebody deep and spiritual, Let's call them spirit-filled servers. That's who they're looking for. And um, so the question is, how do they know that they're spirit-filled servers? Well, um, the Bible kind of jumps on that subject, and I want to encourage you at your note page at the bottom, there's a a variety of further study scriptures. Go to the Galatians 5, for example, and you're going to find there um, the This word, obvious. So, in the context, let me just read it without turning there in view of time. So, I say, Galatians 5, verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to describe the, the, the qualities of the flesh, immorality, impurity, and so on and so forth. But he says, the flesh sets his desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So he's saying they're they're, they're really standout different looks, a person that's full of the Holy Spirit and one who isn't. Still quoting from Galatians 5. The the acts of the flesh, and here's a word I want you to write down, are obvious. Okay? Okay. You don't have to squint. You see it. That person's walking in the flesh. The flesh runs the show. The reverse is also true. But the fruit of the Spirit is also obvious. And he lists love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth through the list there. Um, so to be selected in this day as part of a, a, a Holy Spirit filled servant of these widows, uh, you needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One more criteria, we looked at it or mentioned it in passing, wisdom. Wisdom, um, in this context, is a reference to uh, the administrative skill needed for managing and implementing a sensitive, in this case, food program. Remember, there's a fight going on here. There's people with arms folded on both sides of the room, and they're not given. This has got all the potential of SPLIT, right? We're going to go somewhere where they care about us. We're going to go somewhere where, you you know, uh, you guys are content with what you get. You know, it just goes this kind of voice. So wisdom, the sensitivity of implementing a food program. This isn't just give, making sure you get a scoop of mashed potatoes on both plates or um, falafel, I guess, over there. But um, it's not that. It's it's more than that. Um, I want to tell you about uh, somebody that um, yesterday we celebrated 39 years of marriage, my wife and I. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, you know, I've just been a giant fan of hers from the beginning. She, she uh, drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. Anyway, so, but she's just my, she's my Debbie. That's how I refer to her. And one of the many things that captured me was she's a culinary chief in our family. She, she, she understands what goes on. And her cooking and her baking has always been about. I mean, it's been full of amazingness, and it and it blew me away in the day, and it and it still does. Um, when we were dating, I would. Um, I, I was a bachelor back then. We were dating, right? I was a college student on top of that, so I didn't. I couldn't afford a toaster in our apartment. But we had a a gas stove that had a flame in the broiler section at the bottom. So I put my toast under there. And on more than a couple of occasions, I forgot about the toast that was under there. And we just had like a four alarm fire in our little apartment, right? And one time the manager of the apartment came and, hey, how you guys doing? And his eyes get really big. And he sees this blooming smoke coming out of the kitchen. And finally, when we went in there and saw that the toast was probably not edible at that point, um, he says, here, come with us. And he went to this storage area where they had all the leftover stuff on, sometimes people just leave an apartment, probably on the run. And he says, they haven't come back. This has sat here forever. Have have at it, man. Anything you want. I think we cleaned out that entire room, right? (laughs) Me and my roommates. There were four of us. Um, So... I, I'm still. That didn't fix my hunger problem because I was living on bananas and soup. You know that was kind of it. And so, Debbie, I would take her every Sunday and we'd go to church and we'd worship and have a great time. And then, and then on our way home, we would go by a grocery store, Vaughn's Grocery, because I worked there. And um, and I would say, Debbie, uh, you can fill it with anything you want. And she did. And she tried so many recipes. Well, here we are, 19 and 20 years old. And and, and I am just like, I'm this fat cat. I had money because <laughs> I worked in a warehouse, you know, and all this stuff. But she just put the touches together. And I'm telling you what, I was hooked, hooked. They say a, a weight of a man's heart is his stomach. I heard that from somebody recently. I thought, man, that's pretty close. Uh, and it turns out she's a whole lot more than that. And she continues to do that. But here's the point I want to make: you have no idea how quickly, how shockingly fast, I resort to, I regress to bachelor when Debbie's not around. Okay, it it is it is it is scary, and I need medical treatment at at certain moments. I need certainly a counselor to walk me through it, right? Because I honestly, left to myself, I mean, I'm a four. Four-item guy. I'm, I'm coffee, right? Is that obvious this morning? Okay, so coffee, bananas, okay, Aussie bites, right? And In-N-Out burger. That's it. That's all I need right there. Okay, that's a hundred percent of my, my uh, need. But Debbie, pretty yeah, pretty normal. Here's the deal. Debbie has. This quality we're looking at, wisdom, when it comes to the culinary world, and it takes, it takes wisdom, organizational skill to pull that off. Aren't you impressed how that comes together in the text here? We're looking for spiritual, and we're looking for really practical qualities. That's still important in the church today, whether it has to do with food, or some other need. There's some really skilled people in this church. Financially. Practically. There's great leaders. Organizationally. In so many ways. Be that person. Find your role. Find a place where you're supposed to serve. And we'll quickly just read and note the rollout plan. Because I don't want us to miss verses 5 and 6. This proposal that we just read and kind of digested, pleased the whole group. It pleased everyone. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, and then hard name, hard name, hard name. Okay, so (laughs) then then they presented these men to the apostles, verse 6, who prayed and laid their hands on them. Uh, If we had more time, uh, we would go into... Detail, but only two of those when I started hard names, because we don't know anything, absolutely nothing else about any of those other five. They're just there. We do know that in the unfolding of this story in Acts, we do know that Philip gets quite a bit of time. And in two weeks from now, three weeks from now, after Easter, we're going to see beginning in verse 8, the other one that does. Come up, and we hear a lot about. And of course, uh, I like his name. Uh, his name's Stephen. Okay, so we'll get there in the coming weeks. But I want you to notice verse six. They laid their hands on them. Um, it was a gesture that was more than just uh, sort of uh, going through the motions. It was something that you could trace. And I've left a lot of scriptures for you to explore. But they go all the way back to the the significant days of Moses laying his hands and praying on Joshua, his successor. And in doing that, he was doing more than just, here, man, help me, I can't stand up on my own. He was anointing him, giving him a a confirmation, an affirmation of authority to lead God's people. That takes it in a different direction, doesn't it? It's a big deal going on here. Uh, The same was true of Jesus when he... Uh, Bless children. He didn't just, you know, bless them from a distance and verbally. That would work. He's Jesus, but he touched them. He he laid hands on them in the most gentle and affirming way to say, you matter, you're important, you're valued by me. And then, of course, the first church, if you uh, are hopefully with us Way later into Acts, you will be part of the very first commissioning of Barnabas and Paul. Paul hasn't even surfaced yet. He will in a couple of chapters. He was known as Saul. He meets Jesus, and they're about to go out and tell everybody about the lives they once lived and are now changed, and they've got a Jesus story to talk about. But before they go out, we're going to get in deep about the anointing. They the church laid their hands on them as they sent them out on a first of three or four missionary journeys. Um, so it signified something big, blessing, anointing, authority, and, and even commissioning. And they were, these seven were spiritually given the authority to carry out a feeding program for widows in the name of Jesus. Isn't that great? Don't close your Bible yet. Look at verse 7. It was really great, not just great. As a result of implementing that plan, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a number, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. A good problem had been resolved. In fact, you can read the entire rest of Acts, and you will not see this problem surface again. Apparently, it was successful, and they carried it on and and played it out. I take away from verse 7 what's written here, though, that the word of God spread because the apostles were in their lane. They got to do what they were gifted to do. And, man, was it impactful. And then, and then the number of new disciples, that means the church, it kept growing in number. Um, and, and even, and, and, and I, I guess I want to say this because that should be fairly obvious that the church would grow. Why? Do you remember how the Gospels ended with Jesus who talked to his disciples the last night he was with them before he was crucified the next morning. He says, a new commandment I give to you in John 13, verse 34, that you love one another as I have loved you. A new commandment I give to you to love one another. Everyone, in fact, will notice my paraphrase of what Jesus said next they will notice, man, you got a lot of widows. Not just Hebrew widows, but Greek widows. And they knew all I've shared and a bunch more about widows. But they're going to notice something about you that's different in your treatment of widows. And not just your own kind. Not just the... Hebrew widows, but the Greek widows. You took care of both. And that translates into, I will will take a closer look at a God who inspires his people to not allow a disagreement that threatened unity to persist. Hey, man, I mean, this is really core stuff. So I want to ask you one last parting question, and we're going to, we've been promised a treat. Is the treat still waiting? Okay, good, good, good. Um, What part has the Holy Spirit gifted you? What part has he gifted you for in the church? The word for should be the word that's on your mind when you leave. You were not given a gift, neither was I, to benefit myself. My gift is defined as something you need, and I better show up and, and and deliver. I'm just talking about me right now. 100% of that is true of you. You need to know, you need to think through, you need to consider what is the gift? What is the gift that you have been given? How has the Holy Spirit gifted you to to serve the body? Some of you live stream are hearing this right now, and this is a stretch for you because you're tempted to let this become church for you. I'm really glad you're here, and this can meet a need, but I think there's a lot more for you wherever you live. If you live nearby, right here because um, I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Are, if you know how the Holy Spirit's gifted you, are you playing that role? Are you using that gift? Um, it goes without saying. The Holy Spirit wants you to because it's needed. And you, it will be good for you, and it will bring, bring glory to you him and verse 7 will keep happening people will go wow everybody's got something to do there look how they're meeting needs and we will continue to have good problems to deal with amen let's bow together and thank you today Lord for being a voice that um, we need to hear I pray that 100% of what was said this morning was from you or you will just do an etch-a-sketch in every heart and every mind and cause some of this uh, chaff to just go away. But I pray that a story long ago and the implementation of a fix to a problem would ignite us at grace point. To be all that you want us to be to not allow a known need to exist two weeks in a row to respond to it as, as rapidly as possible and as thoughtfully as possible filled with your spirit Holy Spirit you're working among us you're actually the source of the gifts I pray that more and more of us would be able to say, I stay in my lane, because others are doing that stuff. I bless you, God, for this great church. It's a whole bunch of people that do that. I pray that the whole bunch would turn into every one of us for your glory. You're a great God. You're wonderful to worship. And nothing causes me to pause and ponder more personally and more deeply than to consider your holiness. We do so in response to you now, in Jesus' name.